Well, good morning, Springhouse. Welcome to all of our family that is spread out across the state. We might even have people watching from other states. Good morning. It's a good, good morning to encounter our God. It's Palm Sunday today. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Now, before I get started this morning, uh, a bit about this whole slime thing that we're talking about. I just want you to know that my shenanigans will always outdo any other shenanigans by anybody on staff in this church. And uh, we have your emails if you're voting. And so I do have a record of who's voting and just wanted to put that out there, just saying. (laughs) I love a good story. Do you? I love a great story. Uh, Certain well-told stories have the ability to capture your imagination and transport you and, and your mind into places that you've never even set foot. Stories have the ability to evoke a wide range of emotion, depending on the depth and the range of the emotion, the connection that you have to the story. Certain stories could have dramatic influence over our choices, our plans, and perhaps even how we live our lives. Stories have potential to penetrate through the hardest walls and inspire us to want to achieve more and be a better version of ourselves. But stories don't just create themselves, no. Uh, The best stories come from moments of personal experience and perspective. Have you ever been told a great story from a bad storyteller? I would argue that the person telling the story at times is just as significant, just as important as the story itself. You see, we rely on the storyteller to give an accurate report, an accurate account of what's happened, and and to include in order the sequence of events to lead to maybe the end of the story or the point of telling the story in the first place. Have you ever had somebody spoil the end of a story? maybe even a, a show that you were watching or, or a movie. Ten years ago, we viewed the finale of this show. And uh, yes, I did say ten years ago. It's been that long. And uh, when this first came out, uh, when Lost first came out, I, you know, I, I didn't really understand what all the hoopla was about, all the buzz about this particular particular show. And, and really, it wasn't until season four that I got sick and tired of all of my friends gathering for watch parties that I was not included in because I had no idea what was going on. And so around season four, I decided, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to watch an episode of this or two and see what this is all about. And of course, like many of you, I got hooked. And I watched it. And what I had the benefit of that many of you didn't, was because I was so far behind, I didn't have to put up with commercials. I didn't have to put up with waiting a whole week to see how the story unfolded. No, I got to watch it on my own terms. I got to watch it back to back, and I could watch, binge watch anytime I wanted to. And many times I did, three, four episodes a night, because it was so well written. The story was being told so well that I didn't want to stop watching. Perhaps that's why so many viewers gathered to watch this up until the sixth season, which I did catch up with everyone about midway, sixth season, and my frustration grew 
Because up till that point, I had complete control over how far and deep I got into the story. I didn't have commercials to contend with, or I could watch any episode when I wanted to. But no, this time I had to wait for commercials. I had to wait for the next week to find out what was going to happen. Caused great frustration inside me. But I got to the finale with everyone else. 13.5 million viewers watched the finale of Lost, the two-hour finale. And that entire week, there were advertisements and promos going out that said, all of your questions will be answered. All of the things that you've been wondering are gonna come to light. There's gonna be such a bow placed on this that you're gonna understand what happened and why it happened and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm gonna tell you, I watched that thing. And at the end of that, I had more questions than answers. I had more confusion than clarity. And I had way more frustration than peace. Stories should not end like this. And today we focus on a brilliant beginning to an end of a story that Jesus is crafting on this Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of Holy Week, a week that we remember and reflect on a story leading up to Jesus' death on a cross. And we find the story of this day recorded in the first four books of the New Testament, which we call the Gospels. Now, the word gospel literally means good news. It means good news. So the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus' story, is being proclaimed in these stories by four, uh, four gospel writers. And the gospel writers uh, that, we, that we are looking at in today's significant story, it's a tax collector named Matthew a Palestinian Jew named Mark, a Gentile physician named Luke, and a fisherman named John. That's a wide array of different backgrounds to offer a perspective on a very important story that's going to lead to something that's going to be very significant, that's going to change lives forever. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record this significant moment that was the beginning of the last week of Jesus's life here on earth. But more than that, The story of Palm Sunday, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, would be the culmination and fulfillment of many, many other stories that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation to this point. So we're going to read the scripture together, and I encourage you at home to to read it with me. I've mashed up the scriptures from the four gospel writers to paint the picture of this story today. Let's read. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a donkey doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. 
When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active today, God. And I ask, Lord, that your word today would speak to the hearts of your people and that they would, it would transform lives. Lord, I ask for all distractions of the world to be put to bay and that we would focus in on the important part of this moment, which is you. In Jesus' name, amen. In talking about stories and storytelling, a better word to use as it relates to the disciples' telling of these stories uh, is the word narrative. Narratives are the stories we tell. They answer questions such as what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Plato, the philosopher Plato, he was coined by using the quote or the phrase, those who tell the stories rule society. Powerful forces have always labored hard to control the narrative of people's lives. As you, all you have to do to, to, to know that that's true is to look at the two biggest rivaling news stations and watch one for 30 minutes and watch the other for 30 minutes and you'll see that they're trying to control the narrative on both sides of the coin. And that was even true in Jesus's time. The governing authority at the time, the Romans, believed that they were bringing an end to war and bringing peace to the world. And foundational to their narrative was Caesar, one that they did not see just as man, but they also saw as a god. This pagan mindset actually ascribed to Caesar some really familiar names, such as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Savior of Mankind. You can see how these may have been, uh, there may have been a conflict between those who worshiped Caesar and those who worshiped God. The Jews did not see the Romans in the, in the same way that they saw themselves. They believed a very different narrative, one that had been handed down for generation to generation. The Romans did not keep Jewish traditions. No, they, they forced Jews to make sacrifices to Caesar, which was difficult for the Jews because they believed that you only made sacrifices to the one true God. The Romans were brash. They were harsh. They were brutal. They humiliated and slaughtered countless unarmed citizens. And among their modes of brutality was the shame of crucifixion. Dying by the sword was a display of mercy compared to crucifixion. It certainly was painful, but it carried with it great shame. And unfortunately, the crucifixion was still a very common choice by the Romans for death. Many narratives about crucifixion speak more to the humiliation 
and the shame of of being crucified than the pain itself bore on the cross. But even more than their paganism and their brutality, the greatest weight that the Jews had to bear was actually taxation. Romans were known for their love of money and their love of power. Jews of Jesus's day had to pay insurmountable amounts of taxes, forcing them to work extremely hard to just keep food on the table. If they didn't pay their taxes, it meant that they were going to go to jail and most likely die. My wife and I, we have been streaming uh, the the show, The Chosen. And and I recommend, especially it's Holy Week this week. This is a fantastic thing to do, not just with yourselves, but but, but with your family, pulling in the whole family. Dallas Jenkins is is the director and he takes creative liberty in weaving together the stories of the disciples during Jesus's time. And in this one particular episode uh, that we watched the other night, it it is a focus on Peter. And and Peter had fallen on desperate times. And and, and Jenkins does a great job of of painting the disparity that had befallen on on, 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 uh, Peter's life. And he also does a great job of painting the brutality uh, given by by the Romans. Peter owes a lot of taxes. So much so that when he goes to the tax collector, who happens to be Matthew, by the way, when he goes to the tax collector to pay taxes, he has money, but it's not enough because there were taxes upon taxes behind taxes and he was already behind. And he was in a a mode of desperation and he has to confess to his wife, look, we're, we're, we're done with. Everything is about to be taken. To which his wife looks at him and says, you have fallen away. You have turned away from the very God that you have put your trust in. And Peter fell into that trap. Oh, so often when we meet moments of despair, do we fall away from the one that we always have put our faith in? Peter turns and he tries to do it on his own. I'm guilty. Man, when things get rough, I try to, I grab the, 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 the horse and I try to do it on my own. And so Peter goes out and he spends a whole night trying to catch fish, catch fish, and he catches nothing. And the next morning as he's growing up to the shore, of course, he sees a teacher there teaching his people. Of course, you guessed it, it was Jesus who looks at Peter and says, turn around, throw the nets one more time. Reluctantly, Peter does it, pulls out a whole boat full of fish. But what really resonated to me was Peter's response. It should have been, praise God, thank you, Jesus. But no, instead, he fell to his knees and he said, please get away from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I have so fallen from you. Isn't that a posture that we can relate to? But Jesus says, get up, Peter. I've got a plan for you. I'm going to make you fisher of men. Wow. The Romans, to cause such oppression during this time, that people have to work so hard to meet their demands. You can imagine how hard it must have been for the Jewish people. The old covenant narrative was based on Exodus 19. When when God met the people at Mount Sinai, he said to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you up myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The old covenant narrative was full of rules, regulations, 
conditions. God's chosen people held on to these religiously in hopes that God would bless them and protect them from falling into enemy hands. You can read Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. There, There are passages and passages and passages that list out all of these rules and regulations, these conditions that they had to follow. We refer to this as the law. Now, the law wasn't for everybody. It was for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. But the promises of God, they were only for the Jewish people as well. They were not for the Gentiles, which would have included the Romans during first century uh, Jesus' time. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites would disobey and fall short of these rules and regulations, God would lift his hands and the Gentile armies would come in and wipe them out. But every now and then, God would raise up a Messiah to come and lead the people back to God. You see, Messiah, the word Messiah actually means anointed one. And there were actually many Messiahs before Jesus. David was a Messiah. Hezekiah was a Messiah. Even Saul was a, was a Messiah. And when these heroes would come in, they would lead the Israelite armies to victory. And they would turn the people's hearts back to God. With God's help, they would slaughter their enemies, God's enemies. First century Jews during the time of Jesus still celebrated the most recent Messiah. His name was Judas Maccabeus, had a nickname, the hammer of God, because of how he treated God's enemies. In 167 BC, a pagan king named Antiochus IV sacrificed a pig to the Greek god Zeus in the inner courts of the temple where the Jewish people sacrificed things to God. Maccabeus led a rebellion and God was on his side and slaughtered all of those people and desecrated them. And so he was triumphant. He was victorious and it liberated for a time the Jews away from the oppression that was happening. And so this Maccabeus, he rode into Jerusalem on a horse triumphantly with a sword. And it is written that they laid palm branches down and they said to him, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Sound familiar? Sure it does. So how does the narrative of Jesus differ from that of the previous messiahs that already came and and conquered the, the, the Gentiles being conquered that separated the Jews from the Gentiles? What was different in Jesus's day? All of this lays a foundation for today in understanding the narrative written by the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus's fame had spread throughout the land. He had just healed Lazarus, teaching for nearly three years, traveling, performing miracles, and he indeed was about to make his entry into Jerusalem. People really had no problem labeling Jesus as the the Messiah because in their minds, he was there to wreak havoc on the Roman political system and the oppression that they were under. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus's purpose and plan was to change the narrative. It was no longer the expected story of God separating the Jews from the Gentiles as it had always been. It would be the story of how God planned to bring them together as one. But God does something very unique and special and that he doesn't just bring about a new narrative. No, 
He completes and fulfills the old narrative as well to the point of death. So looking at our story today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I want to look at a few things that I don't find coincidental. The first is that this happens during the Feast of Passover. There are three feasts in which the the people were asked, the, the Israelites are asked to go to Jerusalem and make sacrifices to God. And one of the celebrations is the Passover celebration. Now, this happened back in, in, in Egypt, back, back way back in the Old Testament, when, when God was going to deliver them out of bondage and out of slavery. And God said, I'm going to create my death angel, and it's going to go across all of Egypt. And what I want you to do, my people, Israelites, I want you to take a, a baby lamb, a baby sheep, I want you to slaughter it. I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to paint the doorpost of your door. And as this death angel passes over, it will pass over your house and you will be protected from the death angel as long as the blood is on the door. This has carried with the Jews forever, even until today, the celebration of the Passover, the day when God was faithful to protect his people. Coincidental? that Jesus chose to go up to Jerusalem in a time where blood was needed to save lives? I think not. He also comes in a very peculiar way. What's up with this donkey? What's up with this donkey? Jesus says to two of his disciples, bring me a donkey. Why didn't Jesus just go grab the donkey himself? Have you ever thought of that? I wonder if the parallel, because I believe that nothing Jesus does, everything Jesus does is intentional. Nothing is left to just be for happenstance. Everything he does is intentional. Could it be that the way to salvation is through faith, belief, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Disciples, go and get this donkey. Can you imagine? I know that, I happen to know that Pastor Ronnie likes the Reese's peanut butter eggs for Easter. And I wonder what it would be like if Wednesday this week he called me up and he said, Kevin, I want you to go to Kroger and I want you to pick up the yellow package of the Reese's peanut butter eggs. And if somebody stops you and asks you why you're taking these Reese's eggs, I want you to tell them your pastor needs these. Well, that certainly would raise some questions in my mind. Um, Why do you need these besides the inevitable that you want to digest them? Uh, Have you paid for them? Do, Do I need to pay for them? I'm happy to go, but can you give me some more information? Jesus says, go. And all of the things that had transpired prior to this, all the miracles they they saw, this should have given them the foundation of faith and trust to believe that Jesus would make it so, and it did. The first step to salvation is believing and trusting in Jesus, trusting that who he says he is, is true. But he didn't just ride on any donkey. No, he rode on a donkey that had never been written. He told his disciples, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it to me. Jesus never rode, Jesus rode in on this donkey who had never been written, had never been ridden on before because what he was about to do had never been done before. It was different. It was other. It was special. 
What's more, Jesus, in his, in his way of fulfilling the prophecy, fulfilling the old narrative, fulfilled the, the prophecy by, by Zechariah in 9.9 that said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes just like it was foretold. He fulfills the old narrative. He never leaves things undone. And guys, in your life, he will never leave things undone. And the most significant part of the donkey symbolized that Jesus came not with a sword and for war, not this time, but for peace. He came for peace. The people expected Jesus to come with a sword on a horse, but instead he came on a donkey that represented peace. He did not come over to overturn the political system, the oppression by the Romans. He came to rule and to reign over all people, all hearts, all nations, all tongues. And he knew what he had to do to make that happen. They came out and greeted him with palms. And they said this, it says this, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Their narrative was that he was the King of Israel. His narrative was to be the King of all. The palms were significant because they represented triumph and victory. And in their minds, it was over oppression and Roman rule but to him, it was triumph and victory over death itself. And even the Pharisees, the enforcers of the old narrative, the ones who repeated it over and over and over, so much so that the old law was so in the DNA of the people, they said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, if they shut their mouths, the rocks are gonna cry out. It was appropriate for them to shout praises for him to come. Even with their limited understanding of what was happening, even with how they were clinging to the old narrative, Jesus still accepted their praises. Guys, you might not understand, you might have limited understanding of what's going on in your life right now. We might have limited understanding about this pandemic and all the things that it it tells, but Jesus will always accept our praise. You can praise him in the midst of this storm or any storm. You don't have to wait to have all the information to raise a hallelujah, to say thank you, Jesus, to praise him because he's in complete control. I believe that this was also perhaps a foreshadowing of what's to come. (laughs) You think that I'm ruling and reigning over these who are shouting here? Wait until I rule and reign over the greater picture after I complete everything I've come to do. And yet those who were closest to him still did not understand Jesus had told them over and over and over what he was going to do, what was going to happen, yet they did not understand because they were clenching to the old narrative that was about to be radically changed by the cross with which Jesus died. When we look at Jesus's death, we see it as an event that happened to him. Yet the Bible tells us that the cross is an event with which we participate. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
You are not a mere spectator left to tell this glorious story. You are a major part of the story. Jesus's death ended an identity, one in which we all shared. Redemption is not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's not just about getting a clean slate. At the cross, God instituted a way for us to end separateness. God sees separateness as death. Jesus came to restore the tie between God and humanity so that who he is might once again define who we are. It's more than forgiveness. It's a reunion to becoming one. So when we ask ourselves the question, how can I get close to God? Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I look at myself. I look at my own righteous acts, my own deeds, and I fall short every single time. Yet this self-focus comes from our old narrative, and we end up with a God behind a veil, distant and far away, separate. If we hold on to our own narrative, we cannot know the power of God's narrative. Let's look at Hebrews 4.16, which says, therefore, we have a great high priest who ascended to the heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to the truth that we profess, for we do not have a priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every single way, just like we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The writer of Hebrews shows us the power of Jesus's narrative. He went to the heavenly places so that we too can go to the heavenly places. His infinite story transcends any finite story of our own. The story of Jesus compels us to change our lives and let go of the old narrative, our old identity. The story of God is breaking forth on this earth. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This new narrative is not just for us. No, my friends, this new narrative is for everyone. In Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. The law, the old narrative, is a story of you get what you deserve. This is how God's people lived. This is really how we all live, live. Jesus' new narrative calls us to repay evil with unimaginable kindness. God calls us to rebel against the old narrative with a strength that can only be found from people who belong to a kingdom outside of this world. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first 
the kingdom of God. The way that we expose the old narrative is by living the new. An eye for an eye strengthens the old story that only devalues. The old narrative, with the old narrative, my value, my worth increases when I devalue others. In the new mindset, my worth is infinite, defined by Jesus. And the more that I love others, the more I behold Christ, the one who really defines us all. Our new narrative comes through the lens of Christ. So my question for you today, what is your narrative? Worship team, you may come. What is your narrative? The old narrative ended with Jesus hanging on a rugged cross, exclaiming three powerful words that said, it is finished. My friend, won't you let go of your hurt? Won't you let go of your pain, your despair, your confusion? Won't you let go of that old narrative and cling to this new narrative brought by the blood of Jesus that answers more things than brings about questions, brings about way more clarity than any type of confusion, and brings peace in the midst of time of great frustration. Palm Sunday, when we think back on his first triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we celebrate what he did for us. But the next time he comes, it's not going to be anything like the first. And on that day, we will partake in the celebration with him, not separate from him. And I assuredly believe and in that moment, we will shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I encourage you to partake of communion. It's this week that we read that Jesus spent that time with his disciples and his friends. And he took bread and he broke it right in front of them. And he said, my friends, you don't really probably understand this at this moment, but this bread is broken for you. It's my body that's broken for you. And when you take this and eat it, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And at that same dinner, he took the cup, the cup of salvation. And he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. The blood that washes you white as snow the remission of sin, the blood that brings about life. When you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Guys, that's why we do communion each week here at church. It's a time for us to focus and remember the events of this week, the power of the resurrected Christ and the price he paid to get there. The old narrative is gone. The new narrative has started. Won't you let go of the old narrative and cling to the new? Next week, 
We're going to celebrate the resurrection. And Pastor Ronnie is going to talk about this new narrative, the beginning, the genesis of what we get to celebrate in living life with and for our Savior. Let's worship together for a few moments.